And so we can, uh, if you have your Bibles there with you, you can turn to that Ephesians chapter 2 that Gert read for us. Thank you, Gert. And then also you should have gotten a paper when you walked in. Does anybody not have a paper? Just put your hand up and we'll get you one. Anybody not have one? You'll need one today. We've got one over here, Gail. There are no more? Oh, we won't get you one. Oh, Gert's got a couple extras. All right, does anybody else still need one? We will share. That's so good. (laughs) But I think we're good. There was a couple there. I think we're good. Gail needs one. Anybody else need one? Gail's got one. I think we're good. Get the slides here. So, yeah, so you can start to, you'll see, I'll explain that in a moment. What, uh, what that's going to be about. But uh, just a reminder, we're in week three of a series here in Ephesians. And uh, just a reminder, what we're reading, this is a letter from the Apostle Paul. From, he wrote it from prison in Rome about five years after he had spent time in Ephesus. And he had spent two years there, one of the longest stints he ever did at any place. And so these are people he knows dearly. And he's writing back to them now, um, this letter, and, you, and we've seen him just two weeks so far, he's just pouring out his heart, his heart for them. And this place, this Ephesus, when he was there, God did extraordinary miracles, the Bible says. And so there's just, I mean, that's where Paul's handkerchief, the Holy Spirit's healing people through his handkerchief. I mean, just the whole city's turned upside down, starts a riot, literally. And, uh, and so just this incre- incredible events that had happened. And now, five years later, Paul's writing this letter back. And so we've looked at here these first couple weeks, and we've seen this. It's a letter. Remember, they didn't have chapters and verses, right? So it would have been one just flowing letter. And he starts off with just introduction. And he's just, the, kind of all of chapter one is kind of like a prayer. Because he's just pouring out his heart. He just, first off, he just blesses God, just praises God for all that God has done. That we've been adopted into his family as children of God. And, and through Christ, we're made holy and blameless and given an eternal life as an inheritance and given the Holy Spirit. And then last week you looked at, he, he keeps on going in this prayer and his desire for these dearly loved people. And we said, this is God's word, so this is God's desire for us, that we would know him more, that we would know the hope that we have in, in Christ. And that's not just, just eternal life, but that we would live hope-filled lives, that that changes the way we live in this life because of the hope that God gives. And we talked about last week just the, a world of hopelessness, you know what I mean, without that. And so we live with hope and then, and then the power that's available to us, the power to overcome sin, the power of eternal life. And so that's what we looked at that last week. And this week we're going into what is probably a familiar passage for you. Um, you've probably heard this before. It's a very well-known, especially if you've ever heard of, if, of our salvation by grace through faith. It really comes from this passage, and we'll see that today. And so what I want to do this morning, and the reason you got the paper there, is um, as we go through this, it's really a passage on salvation. It's a great passage on salvation. Actually, I did a little thing on this during our baptism Sunday. And, um, but as we go through, and I thought, we can kind of write out our testimony. And as we went through our series in Acts, we talked about just how powerful a testimony can be that's what to be a witness to bear witness that's what that is 
To bear witness is to tell what Jesus has done in your life. You're, you're, you're witnessing. This is, I'm a witness. It's like being a witness in court, right? You're like, I'm a witness for what Jesus has done in my life, and I want to tell you about it. That's our testimony. And so I just thought we could follow through no matter where you are. Christian, not a Christian, been on this journey for a long time, new. You'll find yourself somewhere in this passage. You'll be somewhere along this journey. And so that's what we'll be looking to do today and then encouraging us to, as we saw in Acts, to then share that, that God has given us a testimony so that we can share it with someone. Um, and so that's the, that's the plan for this morning. And so we'll get right into it. So you, if you look in your Bibles there, we're starting in chapter 2, starting in verse 1. First word, and. And. So again, remember, there wasn't chapters and verses back then. And so... This is the first word in the Greek at the start of chapter 2. And it's just, I just mentioned this because it's a reminder that this is, this is a continuation. This is building on the fact what we just looked at last week, those, all that God has done for us and his desire for us to know him more, right? To know the hope that we have, to know the power available to us. And then he goes into, and he's gonna, Paul's going to go on, and he's going to talk about here salvation. And he starts with and, and he's going to take us back. Right? And so for these first three verses, I just labeled it, you'll see on your sheet there, I labeled it life without God. That's the first thing, life without God. This is before salvation. And he takes us back to that point. Takes us back to that point before salvation. Life without God. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's just another name for the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's how he starts. That was our, that's our life before God. He starts off with saying you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead, and that's obviously talking about spiritually dead. We're not all physically dead. We're here physically alive. This is spiritually dead. And this is Warren Wearsby. This is from his commentary. I thought he summed it up really well. Spiritually dead. This means spiritually dead. That is, the person is unable to understand and appreciate spiritual things. They possess no spiritual life, and they can do nothing of themselves to please God. The unbeliever is not sick. They are dead. They don't need resuscitation. They need resurrection. Okay? That's the state that we are uh, spiritually without Christ before salvation. Spiritually dead. That's why we, we use the term born again, right? It's that coming alive. It's the picture of baptism, of that you're going down, you're going under the water, you're being buried, that dead, that old life is dead, and you're coming to a new life resurrected to a new life it's i thought of this verse from second corinthians is probably familiar with therefore if anyone is, is in christ he is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come so before christ before life with god we, we are spiritually dead and we're looking at the spiritual life to, it's, it's a it's a resurrection a coming alive again and so if we go back and look at this at our verses again spiritually dead that's the state that where we are and then it's going to go on to describe that life especially these trespasses and sins and those trespasses and sins and it kind of gives us kind of three things 
The first one, it says, it's, it's, we were just, when we're living dead spiritually, we're just following the course of this world. It's, it's the way of the world. And then it ties that to the devil and his values because the devil also rejected God, right? He was created as an angel, Lucifer. But he rejected God, wanted to be like God, and was cast out of heaven. And now his influence on the world now is away from God. It's in rebellion. And so the whole world is operating dead spiritually in an opposition to God. Following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons, is in mankind, of disobedience. Right? And so we have, obviously, if you're going to follow a, a way of the world that is influenced by the devil and it's opposed to him, it's dead spiritually, it's going to be a, a life of disobedience. And so that's this state, this state of, of dead in our trespasses and sins. I defined sin before as rebellion against God. You heard that? Doing it your own way instead of God's way is a way to define sin. I, I, I like that because that, that often we think of sins as like just a list of rights and wrongs, right? The sins that we do, the bad things, the ways that we break one of the rules, right? And certainly those are disobeying, of course, but it's much deeper than that. Sin is a heart problem, right? We see that right from the beginning with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, it wasn't, is it, an, is it a sin to eat fruit? No, it's not a sin to eat fruit. It was a sin because God said, don't eat that fruit. And what did they say? They said, yeah, but it looks real good. I bet you it tastes good. You know, and then they rationalized it. Devil deceived them. Oh, God said, what did God say? He said we'd die. Oh, you won't surely die. No, eh, you know, and we rationalized it. Well, maybe, maybe God was wrong. Maybe that wasn't true. Maybe I got it, whatever the rationalization was. And in their own way, they thought, I know better than God does. And they, Adam went with the flow. Don't we do that sometimes? Everybody else is doing it, you know. In this case, everybody else was one other person. But, uh, right, all these things, are so much about sin there in that first act. It was an act of rebellion, an act of saying, God, I can't trust you. I don't believe it. It was an act of selfish desire. I want it. It looks like it looks good and, t- and probably tastes good. I want it. All those things that come into play. And that sin, the wages of sin is death, right? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That was the penalty. When God warned them, he said, if you eat of it, you will surely die. And, and so that death, as we see here, that that death wasn't just physical death, which comes, they brought death into God's perfect creation. It fractured it. It wrecked God's perfect creation. It brought death into his perfect creation in the world. But I'd say even more so, it was a spiritual death. It was this death that we're talking about this morning. It was separation from God. It was, that's what they, that's what sin brought. It fractured that relationship that they had with God. And that's the state that we find ourselves in. That's what Ephesians is talking about here. And then we see these sins described as we look at our own lives. How do we recognize that heart in ourselves? You know, we we know that as, as humans, we grow up. If all we have, we're just living life growing up in this world, Of course we're going to follow the ways of the world. That's all the reference we have. Often we think we're not so bad because we look at the rest of the world and go, we're not bad as that one or this one, right? But everybody, it's a humankind problem. 
All the world is heading. It's all influenced by the devil and his values, right? So just because we can look at someone beside us and go, oh, I'm better than them, doesn't mean that, that you're not still dead spiritually and, and in opposition to God, a child of disobedience, a child of wrath. And it describes these sins when we look at it our own lives. It kind of gives a, a good picture of it here. Who, who, verse 3, among who we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. And that phrase is often interchanged with the sinful nature. Right? This nature, this sinful nature that we've inherited since Adam. You can go read more in Romans 5. Kind of get that. But we've inherited this sinful nature that's bent towards rebellion against God. Right? Anybody who's had kids knows this. Right? right? Your kids... Your kids, they, someone makes them angry and they bite them, right, Does it in revenge. And you think, I hope I didn't learn that from you as parents when you guys disagree. Like, I don't, I don't think that was a learned thing. That was just in them, right? They are, they are rebellious, angry, disobedient, selfish little blessings, aren't they? <laughs> like, just... Amanda and I will joke sometimes. Sometimes we're having her, and be like, man, the sin nature is strong today in that one. <laughs> and, uh, but it's true. We see that. We've all, anybody who's had kids can recognize that, that sinful nature. Light turned red. that sin nature we see it we see it in ourselves in our own selfish desires and it describes it well there doesn't it in the passions of our flesh that sinful nature carrying out the desires of the body and the mind those things what is it that that we do because we want it it's our selfish desires what makes us feel good what we rationalize to achieve something we want to be to put off a certain look often if you look at that start there searching your own heart you'll find how that's what's leading you to sin. Often it's that same heart of rebellion um, against God. And it results in, as it ends in verse 3, there ends with, and therefore we were by nature children of wrath, deserving of God's wrath. God is a perfect, holy God. And he's, he's a God of perfect justice. We don't want God to be a God that goes, yeah, you know what? I'll let that one go for now, right? That's not the God we want. We need a holy and perfectly just God. It's the only way that he can be perfectly loving. We know this between, ever understood that? Like, to be loving is not the opposite of being wrathful. They're, they're two, two sides of the same coin, right? We know this as parents. Like, you're someone who you love dearly, that gives you the capacity then if someone tries to hurt them or harm them or do evil to them, right? You have the same, that love results in this an emotional response of, of funny if you don't have it, but you can uh, see there these, these first three verses kind of actually got it in two sections, but I just called it life without God. And just like the scriptures are calling us to, he's taking us back to that point. And so I just want you to take a moment. I want you to think about um, in your life, what, are, what were, are some of the values or goals of the world that you followed? 
that you can now see are disobedient to God. Some of the lies that the devil deceived you with in the past. Some of the passions of the flesh or wrongful desires that have led you to sin and disobey God. The attitudes, actions. And you can see I started with I there because we want this to be personal. This is, a, this is your story, okay? This is the start of our testimony. We, you can, I'll just keep talking as you kind of think and, and write through that. If we, if we hadn't committed some of these things, we wouldn't need saving, right? We need salvation because we need save, salvation from something. Some of you got saved later in life. Your testimony might have a definitive point where you can see, you remember God did this drastic change in your heart. Because you lived longer pursuing the ways of the world. You experienced more of, of the lies of the devil. You experienced more of the end result of pursuing the passions of your flesh. And it might be more distinct for you. Others of you grew up in a Christian home, you kind of, you, from a young age. And uh, for you, that, that understanding of, of your rebellion against God might have happened a little more of a journey. You know, maybe it happened as a, maybe you have memories as a little kid of disobeying mommy and taking a cookie and having that understanding. You've been taught in Sunday school about Jesus dying for your sin and you realize that was sin. And my dad used to tell his testimony, it was gas-soaked, gas-soaked sugar cubes that he stole in Africa because he was in Africa and that's all they had. They didn't have candy or cookies. But whatever it was for you, what was it? You know, maybe one of those first things as a small kid where you realized that bad thing was sin and God judges for that and Jesus died for that. And then maybe your, your journey traveled on a little longer and when you got a little older, you began to realize that it was a heart thing. You, you started to understand your own heart and you were realizing that it wasn't just about going to church and doing that stuff, but you started to see as an older, maybe a teenager or something, that you had a heart that, was, that didn't really want to obey, didn't really want to follow, and you realized that there was something in your heart that was wrong and that you needed Jesus to save you and him to be Lord. It's your story. And then the second part would be that moment when you realize that that sin, those things that you can look back and see now, that moment when you look back and realize that that was rebellion against God, that that was sin against the very creator of the universe, the one who made you, and that that had separated you from God, and that you were in need of salvation.
I know that feels a little heavy, and, and it is. So praise God for the next verse. Amen. <laughs> we'll carry on. Verse 4, starting verses 4 and 5. I call this part, What God Did For You. And it starts with these two incredible words, but God. But God. That helpless state, hopeless state we were in, dead spiritually, is where we would be stuck if it wasn't for, but God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Amen. This is, this is the great God's gift of salvation. John 3.16, we all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did the action. But God, he reached down. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. And so it's nothing that we did, but all that he did. But God reached down when we were in a spiritually dead state. He reached down and offered us salvation. And so back to our, our verses here, there's a couple words in these Ephesians 4 and 5 to really help us grasp this. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, dead spiritually, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I just wanted to take a moment to look at these words because I think they really help it, us understand this. Mercy is the compassionate desire to forgive or help someone in circumstances beyond their control. Right? It's, it's a heart thing. Mercy is a compassionate desire to forgive or to help someone in circumstances beyond their control. And so you think that when we're in a hopeless, that hopeless place where we can't save ourselves, right? We need God's mercy. He's the one. It, it's from the one who has. You think in our day, that's, like, that's why forgiveness, right, is an act of mercy. Because if you offend, you do something to somebody, you can't make them forgive you. You can't buy it, achieve it in any way. It's completely, you're dependent on that other person offering you that forgiveness. Right? You can't make them do that. That's a choice. That's a mercy from them to forgive you. You can repent. You can say your story. You can do everything you can to seek forgiveness. But you can't make them do that. Forgiveness is an act of mercy. Or we think sometimes we'll use that term for someone who's, who's in a really desperate position, homeless or something, right? And they, they can't get themselves out of it. And so an act of mercy is you that have means, you give, you help them in some way. They're in circumstances beyond their control and is an act of mercy. But it's a, it's a heart's desire. And it's tied closely with love because God being rich in mercy I love that, rich in mercy, because remember, mercy is from the one who has to the one who doesn't, right? God has all things. He's all-powerful. He has it all, so there's no circumstance where he can't offer mercy because he has all the resources. He's rich in mercy. Not only that, though, he doesn't just have mercy. It's because of love, then, that he offers it, because of his great love for us. And, of course, this love here, the word here used 
most of you probably know Greek had four words for love. We have one. But God's love is this agape love. It's a love that is, that is sacrificial, right? Jesus sacrificed, sacrificial and committed or covenantal. It's something, it doesn't depend on what the other person does. It's not a kind of love like, well, if you, I'll love you if you do these things for me. No, God's love is while we were still dead spiritually in rebellion against him, sinners, he still loved us. He sent his son to die for us, sacrifice for us. That's the agape love. And this picture of, of love and mercy, this is actually probably the number one attribute in the Old Testament, talked about God. He is abounding in love and mercy, okay, because of his great mercy. That picture, that loving mercy you'll find all throughout the Old Testament because it's God's character. It's who he is. And then I love this as I was talking to Ernest this week as I was ta- we were talking about mercy and grace and that and, and found this definition that I thought was so good. Grace is God's loving mercy expressed. I get that. God has a heart, right? He hears you. He understands your circumstances. He has the ability, right? He has all things are under his control and authority. Learned last week. And he loves you. He loves you dearly. So he has this loving mercy. And when he expresses that towards you, that's grace. That's grace when he extends that loving mercy. Free, undeserved, nothing we did to earn it solely by God's choice, his love and mercy extended to you as grace. And so that's, uh, praise God for, for that, that answer to our situation. And so now, whew, we can take our paper again and we can get to some of the <laughs> a little lighter part there. Um, we were in that place, that's where we were dead spiritually because of our sin We can all look back to that, what we needed saving from. God and his grace offers salvation. The but God moment. So you can, on your paper there, what was that but God moment in your life? When you learned that Jesus had paid the price for your sin, took your punishment on himself so that you could be saved. When did you repent of your sin and put your faith in the grace of God to save you? And again, this is a story. This is your story. It might involve people. God used somebody else to be a witness in your life. It might have been something you read or heard or sermon or something, a dream, you know, a combination of a whole bunch of these things where God revealed himself and you came to know that Jesus had taken the punishment for your sin. And so you put your faith in him.
mean, I was just thinking the testimonies we heard at that baptism service. And just some of the different testimonies we heard there even that just shows such a God's work in different stories, different people, different stages in life, but God, but God, <laughs> seeking them out and saving them. Amazing. It's what God did for us. And then the next two verses, six and seven, and labeled here, what God has done or is doing in you. Life without God, what God has done for us in salvation. And then after salvation, what does he do in us? Verses 6 and 7 say this, And raised us up with him, that's Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us. In Christ Jesus. And so at first glance here on this one, it, it looks like it's talking about eternal life. And I'd say definitely that's part of it, right? But something to notice with these verses is that they're present tense. You see that? They're present tense. It's talking about right now. Why is that? Well, if you think about everything, the whole context of what we're looking about at here, it's about our spiritual life. We were dead spiritually. We've been made alive with Christ spiritually. And so that, that resurrection of spiritual life, just like baptism pictures, starts right now. Starts right at that moment of salvation. We're made alive. We have to wait for our physical resurrection and new bodies till someday. But our spiritual resurrection just carries on, right? We, we get that right now. And so spiritually, we've been raised from that dead spiritual life to now we are alive in Christ. It's no longer I who live, it is Christ who lives in me, right? And so we've been risen, we've got that resurrection in our spiritual life. And so that's what he's talking about, that this, his grace, we, yes, God's grace to offer us salvation, but that, it's not like a one-time act of grace and then we kind of just carry on and wait for heaven, right? We need God's grace every day, every moment of every day. To live out this spiritual life is alive. It is by God's grace that we can live that spiritual life and be live is, is alive spiritually. And so everything from, from the power to overcome sin comes from him. Think of all those things that we've talked about this morning and sang about the peace that comes from God and the joy inexpressible and the comfort that he gives and the, the power and to, to overcome sin and the, right all these things, the power to be on mission for him, to bear witness, all these things, the gift of the Holy Spirit, all of these things are God's grace to us. Those are gifts from him, the one who has, the ones who don't have, right? And so this is just such an awesome picture. I just love this, that he talks about how because we've been made alive, that the riches of his grace are, are constant, are nonstop. We, we start, they start now, and they just, we continue to live in those every moment of every day until eternity when we get to experience them fully, right? The riches that we can't dive to the, get to the bottom of. And I think this is important for us because especially in North America where, where Christianity has been something that has been here for centuries, country was founded on it, Right? I think often we can look at Christianity as like, okay, I've got a problem. I've got a sin problem. I realize that Jesus came, and, and I now understand the gospel message of salvation. And so, yeah, I need that. i got a problem that needs a solution. You provide the solution. And I need that so that I can keep living my life. Like, I mean, I've, I've experienced the 
what happened with sin and the way it leads, right? So I need this problem solved in my life here. And so God solves the problem through Christ. And you accept that by faith, believe who Jesus is, yes and amen, and then, okay, now I can keep living my life. Now I got my problem, my biggest problem solved, right? And it's like, no, that's not the Christian life. That life is dead, the old life, right? Like, you, Christ is, you're coming to him, and yes, he gives you salvation by grace so that you can then have a relationship with him. Your whole life has changed. You're now living for him. It's not so that I can, I got a problem solved so I can keep doing what I want, living my life how I choose. It's a whole new life. You're now living for him. That's why he's Lord of your life. And... And so we live every day. That's what he's doing in us. He's transforming us into that. And so the next, uh, just on your sheet there, how have you received and experienced God's grace in your life? You can think of some of the ways that your life has changed now that you've received new life in Christ and know that you've received eternal life when you die. What are... What are some of those things as you look at your life now? What is God doing in you? Because it's only by his grace that, that, you can, that any of that change happens. It's not you still. It's still only by him. What is God doing in you? Maybe you can look back on some of the, the ways that you're not where you want to be yet, but you're not where you were. He's helping you overcome some things. You can look at a sin, a past struggle that you're doing a lot better. You look, can look at just some of the blessings that he's given Think about some of the peace or comfort or joy or what is he doing in your life? Another way of thinking about it is think of the fruits of the Spirit. Run through those in your head. How is he, the Holy Spirit, changing your heart to be more like Jesus? That's part of your story. That's part of your testimony of what he's done in your life. Maybe it's a gifting, something that since you came, you've found a joy in, in serving in some way. You've seen God use you in some powerful ways because of a gifting that he's given you, and you've seen flourish as you've, as you've looked to use it for him. And then the last three verses, verses 8 to 10, I call this what God has done or is doing through you. Remember, my, my grandpa was a pastor, and he used to, almost every time he closed a prayer, he'd say, he'd thank God for what he's done for us, in us, and through us. And I always liked that. I never, it, uh, it's a good reminder of the, the work that God does for us, in us, and through us. Verses 8 to 10 say this, and he's going to start verse 8 just by kind of summarizing everything we've said so far. For by grace 
Remember that loving mercy expressed towards us. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Thankful the scripture puts that in there. Because I think if we even had like, like say it was like 99% God's doing and 1% ours. Which part would we emphasize to people? <laughs> right? <laughs> That's why it's 100 zero. There is nothing we can boast in, none of it. Our testimony that you've been writing down there is 100% God, 0% us. So that we can't boast, it's, that's good for us. But then he concludes that it's all leading up to this, this final. This is where, what God does through us. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, right? Saved by grace, nothing that we've done. We can't boast about it. Free gift. He, his grace, not just for salvation, but ongoing every moment of every day, looking forward to the day when we get to experience it all the more fully. All of that given to us. For we are his workmanship. And that word workmanship, I, I, um, some translations would would. Um, translated handiwork or masterpiece. It's, it's actually the Greek word's poema. It's where we get poem from. Okay? So I just want you to picture that. That's why they translate it different ways. It's this... It's, anybody ever tried to write a poem? I'm not good at writing poems. But, I mean, you craft that. You work at it. You, there's, a, there's a... It's very heartfelt, isn't it? Just like an art piece. It's a, a masterpiece. It's something, a handiwork. If anybody are good craftsmen or painters or something here, one of some of your artistic folk... Right, like there is, it's just such a beautiful thing because there is so much heart and, 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 and intent put into it. You know, he's saying that's who you are. He created you, and the word "created" that's used there is a word that's only used for when God creates. It's the same one used in the Greek translation of the of Genesis. Okay, so it's like this is a God creation. This isn't like you making cookies, kind of. You can't use the same word. This is only God attributed to God, this kind of creation. He created you. You're his workmanship. You're his handiwork. You're his masterpiece. Why? We've already talked about his love for you. And you were created for good works, which God prepared beforehand. I love that because that's the purpose Right? That's that purpose God has for your life. He didn't, it's not like he, 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 um, he's just giving you this gift of salvation. It's like, okay, well, you're welcome. You know, I'm carrying it. It's like, no, it's like God crafted you, made you just the way you are, gave you the gifts that you have, his love and mercy towards you. He desires so much to have a relationship with you because he has a purpose for your life. He has a purpose for your life. In a world where there is no purpose, kind of figure it out yourself, do whatever you think, right? And we say, no, God created you as a masterpiece. He loves you dearly, and he has a purpose for your life, and he's asking you, inviting you into it. That's the picture of the Christian life, all because of God's grace. That, he's, that's, that is all God's grace given to us. God working through us, so he invites us into these good works, these things that he's prepared for us beforehand. And of course, they're going to be things that align with his will. They're going to be 
for our joy. We know that whatever he asks us to do is going to be for his glory, but they're going to be for our joy. It's going to be whatever is best for us as well. And then one last thing, just to wrap it up for today. Um, you've noticed how Paul kind of bookends this section. Remember back, if you look back in verses 1 and 2, how we started? Called us back to remember when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the prince of the power of the air and the, and the ways of the world. So we used to walk in that way. And here at the end of it, after salvation, by God's grace, we walk in. Maybe it's just doors that he's been opening. People he's brought into your life. Maybe there's a new situation, new, new, you're in a new place in life, something. Maybe you started homeschooling this year. Maybe you started a new job. Maybe, you, you know, what is it? Something new that, uh, and God's giving you opportunity. He's doing something through you. Empowered by his grace. And then our doers of the word for this week is uh, just asking yourself, is there anybody that you can share your testimony with? You can be a witness to. And if you don't know where to start, a great place to start from our Colossian series, even the Apostle Paul asked the church to pray that God would open a door. You know, And so you can start there. Pray that God would give you an opportunity. Pray for God to show you who is is that he's been here, their heart's at the right place. <laughs> and he's put them in your life for a reason. You can start there. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for that salvation. Um, we thank you that when we were dead spiritually, that you still loved us and in your mercy sent your son to take the penalty of death for us, to offer us eternal life to offer us spiritual life starting right now, that we can have a personal relationship with you. I pray for your grace, um, that we would depend on it every moment of every day, that we would not try to live this life on our own, go back to the ways of the world, depend on our own strength, but that we would live in this new life with the hope and the power that you give us. And Lord, we do pray for opportunities that we could be a witness for the incredible gift of salvation that you have given each of us.